0: Hey everyone, uh, it's in Law and today I thought I would talk about limited liability partnerships which uh, aren't standard partnerships which is why a lot of the time throughout this I'm going to be talking about traditional partnerships compared to these limited liability partnerships so they're not the standard partnership format so Actual partnerships will have to wait for a future video. But anyway, let's get started. So, limited liability partnerships come from the Limited Liability Partnerships Act 2000, which was passed due to pressure from professional firms who wanted better protection than a standard partnership could provide, such as, for instance, if one partner leaves, you technically have to dissolve. And reform the partnership which a company doesn't have to do but a partnership was a very fitting format for professional firms such as accountancy firms, solicitors firms, those sort of things. So they wanted to keep the partnership structure but needed better protection and more longevity to the actual Makeup of their partnership. Hence, why limited liability partnerships became a fusion of a limited company and a partnership. And the reason they are such a fusion is the partners, who are referred to as members, have full limited liability as occurs in a limited liability company and have separate legal personality from the partnership like the members of a company do. Members uh, members in a company are the same as shareholders. Members in a limited liability partnership are the same as partners. So, one other thing that needs to be borne in mind is section 8 states that there needs to be at least two designated members who will bear responsibility of sending documents to company's house on behalf of the partnership, among other duties, which I will get onto later. So, uh you need obviously an incorporation document to actually incorporate the partnership. You don't need to send the partnership agreement to Companies House. The main form you do need to send is this incorporation document. Once they've received the incorporation document, Companies House will issue a certificate of registration that states that your partnership has been registered. On added to their register. The reason it's sent to companies house is because of the fusion nature of it. it needs to be greater control than a regular partnership. So, companies house deal with it even though it isn't a company. And as occurs with a company, the name of the partnership must end with LLP or the limited liability partnership or the Welsh equivalents in order to ensure people know what format the entity they're dealing with undertakes. And in order to give as much information as possible, section 2, subsection 2 of the Act states incorporation document needs to contain the name of the LLP. The country the registered office of the LLP is going to be located in, the address of that registered office, and the name and address of each member and identities of the designated members of a partnership. And I'll get on to what the difference between regular members and designated members is later. So what are the differences between a company and a limited liability partnership that set them apart? Well. LPs can't have share capital. There are no shares in an LLP. There are no directors or shareholders in an LLP. Obviously, if there aren't shares, you can't have shareholders, and they're not directors. The closest equivalent to a director would be the designated members, and I'll explain that later, as I've said. But there aren't directors. There are just members, um, of which there are some are designated, and others are just not. Designated members, I suppose you could could just say the regular members. For tax purposes, an LLP is treated as a regular partnership with each partner separately liable for income and capital gains tax on their profits and income from the partnership. The role in Foss and Harbottle that constrains the ability of shareholders to sue on behalf of the company does not appear to affect members of an LLP. In the way that it affects company shareholders. Although, with it only being just over 20 years old, there is some scope for debate as to what areas the rule in Foss and Harbottle might affect LLP members. As of yet, there doesn't appear to have been one, but in the uh, major case that I've seen on it, there was finding that on the facts the rule in Foss and Harbottle wouldn't prevent the action by the member. It's possible there could be future actions where it would be applicable, but I haven't heard of any yet. Further differences is no requirement of a specific management structure in an LLP and so there is no equivalent to the model articles companies which will apply to LLPs. And finally, the members of an LLP might not owe each other a duty of good faith, but directors and members of companies do owe those duties, specifically the directors. Members not so, don't really owe duty of good faith to other members. Similarities with companies. Well, the LLP has a separate legal personality like a company does, and so it can be liable for torts and debts as a separate legal entity to its partners. The provisions relating to wrongful trading and fraudulent trading apply equally to LLPs. The members of an LLP owe duties to the partnership, in the same way the directors owe duties to the company. An LLP has to file annual accounts which are made public, exactly as companies must and a statement which confirms the required formalities were complied with must be filed in the same way that companies are obliged to file such a statement one slight difference that wasn't mentioned on the previous slide but might be relevant here is that a statutory declaration is required for companies but not limited liability partnerships so what are the formalities an llp has to follow well, it must have its name on the outside of its place of business and its stationery must mention the name of the LLP, the place in which it is registered, its registration number and the address of its registered office. And contracts may be made on behalf of an LLP by anyone who has expressed a applied authority to make such contracts. A document can be executed on behalf of an LLP by being signed either by two members or by applying the common seal of the LLP if there is one. Although it's possible to change the name at any time, there isn't anything in statute which states how the name is to be changed, and so if the partnership agreement fails to deal with how to change the name, then the presumption is that all members must consent to the change because. It's a change to a fundamental aspect of the partnership, its name, and therefore it has to be unanimous unless the partnership agreement states that it doesn't have to be and provides an alternative procedure. And of course, when changes are made to the membership of the LLP, the Registrar of Companies needs to be informed as they take place. The Registrar of Companies must also be sent an annual confirmation statement under the Companies Act 2006, which did slightly deal with uh, the formalities for an LLP. If you've never seen the Companies Act 2006, it is I'm pretty sure England's longest statute. I doubt Scotland has anything as long, and it very well might be the longest single uh, statute law in the world. I can't say that for certain, but it's a ver- it definitely hits 1000 uh, sections so that's just how big it is and how wide an ambit it actually has so the formalities that the companies act 2006 covers for the regist- for the LLP is that the address of the registered office, the name and address of the LLP, the identity of the designated members, if not all of the members are going to be designated members, and the address of the register of debenture holders is held if it is not held at the registered office, must all be contained in the annual confirmation statement and sent to the registrar of companies. So, what authority do the members have? Well, each member is treated as an agent of the LLP, but under section 62 of the 2000 Act, limitations can be applied to the actual authority of each member to bind the LLP. If the member doesn't actually have the authority to act for the LLP in a specific area in which they have acted, the other party knows they lack the authority the LLP cannot be bound by the agreement but you also have something which is called apparent authority which is sort of a rule of law in which persons of such a status will be believed to have the authority and it's apparent it will be apparent to anyone dealing with them that they would have that authority even if in this specific instance they don't in which case it combines them. So, you have a important caveat for member authority regarding apparent authority in that if a member is acting within the ordinary course of the partnership's business, they may have a foreign apparent authority to actually bind the LLP. And finally, a person ceases to be an agent of the LLP once they have ceased to be a member of the partnership. So, what duties and responsibilities the designated members have? Well, they must sign and file the annual account of the Registrar. It must be they who appoint, remove and remunerate the auditors. They are responsible for filing the confirmation statement I mentioned previously. They must send notices to the Registrar if members join or leave the LLP, among others. If a charge is released, the statement of release of a charge must be sent to the Registrar by the designated members. If they're going to change the name of the LLP, it is the designated members who must make the application. If they want the LLP struck off from the Register, it must be the designated members who make the application. And upon insolvency, if the LLP is to be wound up or to seek a voluntary arrangement, it is the responsibility of the designated members to actually deal with the winding up or application for a voluntary arrangement. Additionally, the designated members have a duty of loyalty and a duty to promote the best interests of the LLP. However, these are owed by all members and apply equally to designated members. One duty which is specific designated members is a duty of reasonable care and skill which they must exercise when acting for their partnership. So what are the duties and responsibilities of regular members? They must account for any money they receive on behalf of the partnership. They must not apply, improperly apply money which belongs to the ALP. They have the fiduciary duties incumbent upon them, such as the duty to act in good faith regarding the partnership. They have a duty to prepare financial accounts which give a f- true and fair view of the LP's financial position. This is not an individual obligation, I should expect. This is something as a body. Uh, the members as a whole must prepare these financial accounts. It's not each one must prepare their own accounts, obviously. They also have duties incumbent on them, such as giving auditors any information the auditors require of them. And they are also duty bound to render true accounts and provide full information on matters concerning ALP which are owed to the fellow members. So what is the provision for capital and profits? Default Rule 1 states that members of an LLP are entitled to share capital and profits of the LLP equally unless they have agreed to the contrary. The default rules do not actually mention losses because of a limited liability, it is a partnership itself which bears the loss. Members are therefore only risking losing the capital they have paid in or loaned to the partnership as well as any future profits they may have become entitled to if the partnership had been able to continue. And regarding management, default rules three and four state every member of the partnership is entitled to take part in managing the LLP, but no member is entitled to be remunerated, i.e. to be given money for doing so but an agreement can vary these default rule six six sorry states ordinary matters of the LLP should be decided by a simple majority of the members but changes to the nature of the partnership business for example the name must be unanimous again as i previously stated the partnership agreement can deal with this as well these are just the default rules if the partnership agreement fails to do so. And finally, how do you depart from an LLP? A member who wishes to depart the LLP must give reasonable notice of their departure to the other members. Unlike a traditional partnership, if one of the partners becomes bankrupt, this will not automatically terminate the LLP. The LLP can actually survive even if there is only one member of the partnership, which obviously is nonsensical in a traditional partnership because you can't have people in a partnership if there is only just one person. A person cannot be partnering with themselves. But an LLP, because it has a separate legal personality, once it is created by at least two members entering into a partnership, it is capable of surviving the departure of one of the members. So that there is only one member of the partnership left. And again, although it is not automatic that a bankruptcy will terminate an LLP, if a partnership agreement states that bankruptcy will terminate the partnership, then of course bankruptcy would terminate the LLP. Unless the agreement allows it, members cannot be expelled or forced to retire, as was stated in default rule 8. And a person who is a member or partner, and this is very important, is not an employee and so the employee rights such as redundancy and unfair dismissal do not protect a member or partner because obviously if they're not an employee they aren't entitled to employee rights. They're essentially owners of the business instead and the registrar must be informed within 14 days of a member actually departing from the partnership that should explain all the key aspects of limited liability partnerships that you need to know i hope this was helpful and if there's anything else you need explained about law i'm always here i've been friend in law thank you for listening like share and subscribe please